The Why Watch That Talk. We're back at it talking about some amazing, or maybe not so amazing, uh, television shows that are premiering for the first time. And there are a lot. I know the holiday season is not even slowly. It's coming to us like a uh, freight train coming out of something. <laughs> and But that doesn't mean that TV slows down. It just means that there's more to do, more to watch besides your Christmas shopping. So let's, let's start with... Um, Showtime, new miniseries, not a huge commitment, not season to season. It's called Escape at Denimora. And I hear that the critic likes it. I will have to see for myself, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Now, at the beginning of this miniseries, a limited series, whatever they call it, it's June in 2015, and we're introduced to Catherine Leahy Scott, the Inspector General for the State of New York. She's been called in to investigate a prison break that just happened at Clinton Correctional Facility in Danamora. Remember that? Oh, yes. Now, Catherine seems like a nice professional lady, but don't let that fool you. Mm -mm. You better take her seriously. But is Tilly Mitchell aware of that? Tilly is the tailor shop supervisor at the prison, and she stands accused of helping two prisoners escape. Hmm. So Catherine needs to determine whether Tilly's trustworthy or whether Tilly was an unwitting accomplice or willing participant. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, Tilly seems out of sorts and not quite all the way there. But is that who she really is? Or is that just who she is under pressure? Hmm. Or is it a front? Well, to get to the answers to those questions, this series takes us back to January of that year. Tilly seems fed up with her husband, who also works at the prison. But when she gets to her tailor shop, she seems to have a bounce to her step. Oh. Now, what could be the cause of that? You know what it is. Well, the cause is the present of the presence of David Sweat. <laughs> and I'm sure in- he do. And he's an inmate who works in the shop. Now, he and Tilly are, shall we say, very friendly. Yes. And that friendliness between Tilly and David hasn't gone unnoticed. There are rumors flying around the prison, and one of David's supposed friends, Richard Matt, finds their relationship interesting. So Richard starts thinking about how he can use David to get to Tilly in order to escape. But will David be amenable? Also, who else must be involved for this escape to succeed? Little old Tilly couldn't possibly be enough. And so as this story unfolds across eight parts, we see how things evolve, the intricacies of the operation, and the ensuing investigation and manhunt. Now here's the thing about this show. Hmm. It's competently made, period. So while there's nothing novel here, who cares? This is a professional production, and it's directed by Ben Stiller. Yes, that Ben Stiller. What? So there's someone behind the camera who understands actors. Stiller, who's also one of this show's executive producers, knows that casting can make or break any project. And he, along with the creators of this show and the rest of their team, couldn't have casted this any better. Patricia Arquette as Tilly is almost unrecognizable. 
She deftly manages to convey Tilly's seeming helplessness, frustrations, and excitement without skipping a beat. She transforms herself into Tilly and is probably the biggest reason to watch this. Mm. However, she's not alone. Joining her as the leads are none other than Benicio Del Toro and Paul Dano as Richard and David, respectively. Oh, I might have to watch that now. <laughs> and as you can hear from the ref, those guys never disappoint. So it's the performances that anchor this limited series, and the rest of the production does a solid job of supporting them, which is what good television is all about. Uh-oh. Well, that mm-hmm. sounds... Uh... You know, uh, Mr. Del Toro. (laughs) Amen. Okay, moving on to Facebook Watch. Now, this is the second Facebook Watch show that we've reviewed. It's called Queen America. And (laughs) Catherine Zeta-Jones, hello. Yeah. So, uh, Facebook is definitely getting some... They're attracting the stars. Yeah. And this is no different... Um, I don't know much about it, but I'm sure you're going to tell us whether or not right after we like our best friend's (laughs) wedding photos, if we should go ahead and like Queen America. Right. And you know what? Interestingly, Ref, I've read, it was reported that it looks like Facebook is going after older millennials and above in age range. Interesting. So if you think about it, it makes some sense what they're doing now. In Queen America... Catherine Zeta-Jones, who doesn't love her? Well, she stars as Vicki Ellis, the best beauty pageant coach in Oklahoma. <laughs> and her current client, Haley, is on the road to Miss Oklahoma's success. Now, to be a success, Haley must do whatever Vicki says, including starving herself, over-exercising, and the like. Oh. But Haley's Achilles heel is her boyfriend, who's an idiot. So after Haley wins the Miss Oklahoma pageant, she gets involved in an unfortunate incident and quickly becomes, in Vicky's words, a cautionary tale of mediocrity. <laughs> and as a result, Vicky is forced to work with Samantha, the untrained Miss Oklahoma runner-up. Now this is a disaster. And it's not the only one because Vicky has problems in her personal life too. Mm. She hasn't been the best sister or aunt. And just when she tries to do something nice for her niece, who doesn't have the ideal look, in Vicky's opinion, it backfires. Plus, there's more to her family story than meets the eye. So, will Vicky be able to turn Samantha into a real winner? And will Vicky be able to make things right with her family? All right, now look. This is just not good. I mean, look, the humor's uninspired and the rhythms are off. So the only reason to watch this is if you never miss Catherine Zeta-Jones in anything or if you never miss anything about pageants. <sighs> also, you'll have to overlook the dialect that Catherine Zeta-Jones is attempting. I mean, I love her. Oh. That dialect is not right. Now, <laughs> now, look, they might say that that's on purpose, but no. Okay, no. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't know where to go after that. <laughs> Moving on. Stick Note, which is on Netflix. Uh, Netflix? <laughs> Netflix. Uh, six seasons for season one, eight seasons for season two, 14 in total. Tell us about Sick Note. Well, Daniel, played by Rupert Grint, otherwise known as Ron Weasley, <laughs> is, a, uh-huh. 
He's a young slacker who just wants to stay home, play video games, and smoke. Oh, boy. And he'll lie to ensure that he gets to do so. He lies to his girlfriend about finding her supposedly lost dog. And he lies to his boss. He works at a failing insurance company in the UK that's trying to compete with nationalized medicine and is run by Don Johnson, of all people. (laughs) So needless to say, things aren't looking good for Daniel. His girlfriend wants him out of her flat as soon as possible. His mom can barely remember who he is. His brother's more important. And his boss is just waiting to fire him. I mean, look, the only thing keeping him at his job is his claim that he has an injured elbow. Right before his boss can tell him to skedaddle, he says, hey, I have a doctor's appointment to go to. But what he doesn't know is that this appointment is going to be life-changing because during the appointment, his bumbling idiot doctor, Dr. Glennis, tells him that he has esophageal cancer. Now, this is not what he was expecting. After all, he was faking an elbow injury. (laughs) But just when it seems that all hope is lost, well, this is what happens, everybody. Dr. Glennis realizes that he made a terrible mistake. Ah. Daniel doesn't have cancer at all, and he tells him so. Now, this puts Dr. Glennis in an awkward position because in the interim, the diagnosis has changed people's opinions of Daniel. Everyone treats him well now. So Daniel's not about to give that up, and he tells Glennis that he'll report Glennis's malpractice if Glennis doesn't agree to treat him for six months. Oh, my gosh. After which, Glennis will proclaim him as cured. Oh. And so to keep his job and his wife, who tolerates him merely for the money, Dr. Glennis agrees to pretend to treat Daniel, and the pair must ensure that they're not found out, which causes all kinds of ridiculous problems. But just how long can they keep this up, right? All right, so review time. Look, it's always tricky to execute comedy in the face of terminal cancer, real or not. So this show starts with an uphill battle. Now, I will say that it isn't bad, but it's not necessarily good either. It just isn't as funny as it wants to be. And as a result, it seems like the writers and the actors by extension are reaching for something they they just can't quite grasp. Mm. It's neither funny enough nor edgy enough to fully click in the uh, place. It's just okay. It's okay. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, okay. That's what I got to say. <laughs> Moving on to Dirty John. Ooh, Ooh. Dirty John. Bravo. Mm. Oh, bravo. Mm. It's already produced for season two. Okay. Uh, what is this about? What are we doing here? And is, remember, this is PG-13 here. Uh, yeah. And this is um, Bravo's biggest premiere of a scripted series. It beat um, Girlfriend's Guide. So this is based on the LA Times and Wondery podcast of the same name. Uh, the first season of this anthology series focuses on Deborah Newell, played by Connie Britton, Ooh. who's a very successful interior designer with two grown, grown daughters and a son. She believes that interior design is all about creating spaces in which her clients can live out their dreams, literally. Okay. okay. Now, the one thing that's missing in Deborah's life, though, is love. And it's not like she hasn't been trying. She's been married four times. Oh! And she's been dating nonstop. So, you know what that looks like. But after a series of terrible dates, she finally meets John Meehan, played by Eric Bana. Now, John's an anesthesiologist. But for some reason, he shows up for their date dressed like he's going hiking. 
Deborah's older daughter, Veronica, doesn't approve, not even a little. But Deborah doesn't seem to mind. And over the course of their first date, Deborah and John find that they have lots of chemistry. For once, Deborah's on a date with a guy who's actually interested in her. Uh, for example, after he talks about working with Doctors Without Borders, prompted by her questioning, of course, he makes sure that the focus goes back to her. So all is going well until it doesn't. When Deborah invites John back to her place after their date, things get really awkward and John's a jerk about it, which is a harbinger of things to come. So it seems that another one bites the dust for Deborah, or so she thinks, because John isn't the kind of guy to give up that easily. And he has all kinds of tricks up his sleeve that are hard for Deborah to resist. But just why is he so interested in Deborah? And exactly why would he show up for a first date dressed so inappropriately if he says, if he is who he says he is, right? Also, while slick, his humble bragging is obvious. Well, at least it is to anyone other than Deborah or her mother. Mm. Also, what kind of guy would invite himself into a woman's bedroom at the end of, a, of date one? Who would do that? Oh. And the ultimate question is this, can John be trusted? And if not, exactly who is he and how bad is he? Don't forget, Dirty John is the title. It sure is. And this is a true crime series. Oh. <laughs> now, there are certain things that you should expect from a scripted non-comedy show on Bravo. You should expect that the characters will be well-to-do and good-looking. And you should, ex <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on. And you should expect that there's going to be all so sorts of glossy soap opera elements. And this show is no exception. So if you're looking for that kind of thing in a true crime context, this is the show for you. Now, outside of that, the strength of the show rests on its leads, Connie Britton and Eric Bana. And they make a nice pair. Now, look, we know Connie Britton is always good. And Eric Bana is a good fit for this role. So if you like them, why not give this a shot? Otherwise, it's not like this is something that's going to blow your mind. It's not like the writing is particularly interesting or insightful or developed. And it's not like this is something that we haven't seen before. Or to put it another way, it's almost like if Bravo's Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce and Lifetime's You had a baby. Ooh. Almost. Wow. That's good. Uh, let's move... Let's, mamma mia. Let's talk about my brilliant friend on HBO. Now, this is a new show. It's in Italian. Aha. Mm. Uh -huh. And it airs on both Sundays and Mondays. Is it really that good? And additional seasons will be produced in Italy. But we don't know what, what HBO is doing. Now, I hear word mm. on the street that this is not a show that you take sitting down. You, oh. You, you you have stood up during the whole episode and watched <laughs> it. <laughs> so look, the story here is uh, Lenu is the smartest girl in her fourth grade class and she has excellent penmanship. Just ask her teacher. But this doesn't please her fellow students. And one student in particular, Leela, isn't afraid to show it, even in the presence of their teacher. Now this teacher is not a woman to mess around with. So she goes to Leela in order to embarrass her for what she thinks will be sloppy work. However, when she sees Leela's work, she's astounded. 
While Lei Nu may be smart, Leela is exceptional. Mm. Now this makes Lei Nu interested in Leela, who intimidates her and over time pushes her boundaries. Lei Nu thinks, just who is this girl who nobody likes and who's never afraid to do and say what she wants? How can such a girl be so smart and how can I keep up with her? And with that, my brilliant friend sets the stage for the development of a life-changing and challenging friendship. It's narrated by a 60-year-old Lainu who's much tougher than her younger self. You see, she's much more like Leela now, and she now refuses to let Leela gain the upper hand on anything, so much so that she decides to write the story of their friendship and everything that Leela told her over the years to set the record straight after she finds, that, finds out that Leela has disappeared. She's worried about the story, not about her childhood friend. <laughs> huh. So when Leela's son calls Lainu looking for his missing mother, essentially, she tells him to drop it. Now, what's that about? What happened between Lainu and Leela to engender that response? And why is it so important for Lainu to write this story to prevent Leela from be, being able to, in Lainu's words, cancel out the life she left behind? That's the question hanging over our heads as Lainu guides us through what it was like to grow up in her Neapolitan neighborhood starting in the 1950s. We see how tough it was for families struggling to make ends meet. We see how difficult it was for poor girls with brains to make it past elementary school. They're expected to help their families just as the boys are instead of going to expensive middle schools. We see what it's like for them to start liking boys and have boys liking them back. We also see the violence surrounding them in the neighborhood. There are so-called businessmen who rule with an iron fist and who raise their sons to do the same. And there are hard-nosed women who need men to support them in order to survive and will fight to the death for the privilege. And so, things don't look so good for Leinu and Leela, but they're special enough to have a chance. So the question is, do they make it? And if so, do they make it together? Mm. Now look, this show, it's got something. From the beginning, you know that no one here is playing around. They drive to the heart of the matter in every scene. But what's most effective is how they blend the grittiness of these girls' experiences and circumstances with moments of lyricism. That's the real hook here. And so my brilliant friend is everything that a drama should be. It's rhythmic and layered and heartbreaking without being overdone. It's hypnotic and it rings true. It is great television. What? So, ah, so don't let the subtitles get in your way. Go ahead and check it out. It won't take long for you to care about the story and the characters. Hmm. I think we know what your pick is. <laughs> Let's end this with Night Flyers. Yes, this is George R.R. R. Uh, Martin's uh, based on his novella. And it's on sci-fi. Oh, what is this about? <laughs> well, at the beginning of this series, we see a spaceship that's hurtling through space and is currently in distress. One of its crew members, Dr. Agatha Matheson, is floating through the ship called the Night Flyer in a panic. And when she finally reaches her destination, she hits a button and gravity returns. 
Uh, why was there no gravity in the first place? Hmm. Next, she records a warning to send back to Earth. The Night Flyer has sustained fatalities and structural damage. However, she's interrupted by another crew member who's clearly out of his mind. She hides from him as he whistles his way through the room that she's in with an axe. What? Hmm. Then, once he's finally cleared the room, she finishes her message by saying this. This is a warning, not a distress call. Do not board this ship. Do not bring the Night Flyer back to Earth. Oh. Oh. But can you guess what happens next? We bring him back. <laughs> and so, Night Flyer begins as many successful sci-fi horror stories do and nods to many classic sci-fi and horror films with a scene that lets you know that the terror is real. It certainly gets your attention. But will the rest of this series? Well, let's continue with the story before I attempt to answer that question. We're in the year 2093. And it's the start of that mission that ended in disaster. Now, the reason why the mission was undertaken is that Earth is dying. Sound familiar? Hmm. Also, there's some sort of disease that's killing people on Earth. Sound familiar? So the only hope for humankind is to intercept an advanced alien species called Vulcrans for help with harnessing some sort of advanced energy before the Vulcrans are too far out of reach in the void of space. And the Night Flyer, whose captain appears only as a hologram for some mysterious reason, is the vessel to get them where they need to go. But this isn't the captain's expedition. Instead, the man who's going to lead the Night Flyer's team of scientists and engineers, who have all kinds of futuristic specialties and idiosyncrasies that I won't get into, is astrophysicist Carl DeBrannon, who's grieving the loss of his young daughter while in the midst of a prolonged separation from his wife, which is by necessity. Now, many people think that Carl is out of his mind for proposing such a mission, but what's the alternative? Also, Carl has planned this mission with the help of, you guessed it, Dr. Matheson. And the secret to them having the slightest chance of succeeding is a special kind of human named Thale who's an L1, which means that he has serious telepathic powers. And the only person who has a hope of keeping Thale on task and out of trouble is Dr. Matheson. Now keep in mind that L1s are feared by the rest of humanity because they can use their powers to hurt and kill as they've done in the past. Oh. So when things start to go wrong with the Night Flyer, everyone except for Dr. Matheson and maybe even her at times, thinks that Thale's to blame but Thale insists that he's not. So the question is, who or what is behind the technical malfunctions, near-death and full-on death experiences, and sinister visions that are plaguing various members of the crew? Is it Thale? Is it the Vulcrans? Or is it something or someone else? And can anyone do anything about it? And now oh. back to my earlier question, right? Yes, so much. Will this series hold your attention? Well, let me say this. Nothing after the opening scene is quite as gripping, which is why it's always important to not only set the appropriate tone from the beginning of any TV show, but also maintain the same level of urgency and execution throughout. After all, the story here is very familiar, as are the visuals. Now, the combination of references on display does sound promising, 
But that doesn't matter without something to connect them into a unifying whole. Now, this isn't to say that this is a bore fest or that it's a complete failure. It has its moments. It's just that what's happening isn't always clear and is often drawn out and it devolves instead of evolves. Mm. Now this, like you said, is based on a novella. So it should come as no surprise that trying to craft an entire series out of it proved challenging. Yep. But if you're really into sci-fi horror, even if it's just okay and potentially frustrating at times, then give this a look-see. The good thing is that if you like it, you'll be able to binge the entire series via your favorite streaming device right away. Mm. Mm. Well, you heard it here first. (laughs) And listen, we have concluded our TV reviews for this week. But guess what? We'll be back next week with more, yes, more, yes, more. But until then, enjoy our reviews now here on our website at whywatchthat.com. Or just keep it locked here because I'm sure the critic will have more to share with you. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>